The Office of Federal Contractor Compliance Programs, part of the Labor Department, has gotten White House go-ahead for what our next guest calls a significant expansion of data that contractors must report. It's all in a new schedule letter and itemized listing. To unravel it for us, Federal News Network's Tom Temin spoke with attorney Andrew Turnbull, who's a partner at Morrison Forrester. What is a scheduling letter and itemized listing? What are we talking about here? Sure. So that is the letter that OFCCP sends to federal contractors at the beginning of OFCCP audit. So it essentially requires contractors to turn over certain items of information uh, at the outset of an audit. Uh, and then there's a number of other percolations within audits that OFCCP goes. And what do you think they're doing differently now? What are they trying to do that they haven't done in prior audits? Yeah, so so the new scheduling letter, and there's an itemized listing that includes a lot of information that federal contractors have to turn over to OFCCP, has significantly expanded the types of information contractors have to provide to OFCCP in several notable ways. So one is compensation. So in prior years, contractors had to provide OFCCP with employee-level compensation information uh, related to their affirmative action plan that's being reviewed. Now OFCCP is requiring contractors to provide two years of that data. They're also requiring contractors to provide any of the factors that are used to make compensation decisions or for selections or compensation at that site, and also any of their policies uh, related to compensation practices or procedures. And if contractors don't have those, they have to tell OFCCP that they do not have that information. Another item related to compensation that's new here is that contractors at the outset of an audit will have to provide OFCCP with its regulatory required compensation analysis. And that's been an issue that OFCCP has already issued a directive on and that contractors are you know, in the process of preparing for, but they will now have to provide that at the outset of an audit. Another new item for the scheduling letter here is that contractors will have to provide OFCCP for the first time information about their use of technology-based selection procedures, including the use of AI tools. Now, in recent years, OFCCP and EOC have undertaken various efforts to try to regulate and investigate technology-based selection tools like AI that contractors have used in selection decisions. And, and OFCCP has traditionally sought to investigate employment tests. But this will be the first time that OFCCP is officially requiring contractors to provide information at the outset of audits on that type of information. One other significant change here, and there's a couple of other notable ones, but I'll just mention one other one briefly, is that the itemized listing also expands the information contractors have to provide on their affirmative action plans and how those plans are implemented, including you know, any type of information in terms of if they've identified areas of underrepresentation, what are they doing specifically to address those for whether that's females, minorities, individuals with disabilities, protected veterans. So this, in, in a nutshell, this, this scheduling letter is a game changer for contractors. And just out of curiosity, if they don't like your affirmative action plan, can they do anything about it or they just want to know? Certainly they can. OFCCP has regulations that require contractors to follow certain steps in order to create affirmative action plans. And there are certain requirements that contractors have to meet to create these plans. Now, there's a lot of flexibility uh, because contractors are all different sizes and shapes. And so, you know, contractors... Uh, have some flexibility in how they create these plans, but if they don't do them in accordance with the regulations, OFCCP can certainly find a compliance violation. But but certainly the bigger ticket issue for OFCCP is looking at employment decisions like compensation, terminations, hires, and promotions to decide to determine if there's any type of 
statistically significant impact uh, based on race or gender. They spend a lot of time at audits and looking at that. And some of the new information that OFCCP is requesting in the scheduling letter uh, will help OFCCP investigate those issues. In other words, they're looking for a way to impute motive from data outcomes. Correct. We're speaking with attorney Andrew Turnbull. He's a partner at Morrison Forster. In your opinion, just given what's going on in the whole affirmative action question nationally, and we're seeing this in other parts of federal contracting, particularly at the SBA, which has suspended 8A program because one court ruling said that you can't infer that a company is necessarily disadvantaged because of the race makeup of the ownership. So could that spill over to here? I mean, is this supportable legally anymore, do you think? Certainly in the current landscape, it is. You know, the Supreme Court decision that came out for Harvard and UNC related to college admissions and affirmative action in that space. And that is governed by different laws that are at play here for workplace affirmative action programs. In fact, for workplace affirmative action programs, you're not supposed to actually consider race or any other protected characteristic to make employment decisions. Affirmative action for federal contractors is more about reaching out and eliminating barriers and providing equal opportunity in employment for different various groups. Okay, got it. And so then what are you advising contractors to do here? This sounds like a pretty heavy lift in terms of just information gathering and compliance activity. Sure. So I I think contractors definitely are going to have to review their audit preparation strategies and affirmative action practices to ensure that they are prepared to timely respond to these new audit requirements. One of the things that OFCCP said in this new scheduling letter is that they are not going to provide extensions to the 30-day timeframe to respond to the scheduling letter uh, unless there's extraordinary circumstances. And when they say extraordinary circumstances, they really mean that. So contractors are going to have to show that they have some type of medical leave for a key personnel or some type of some type of emergency situation like a fire or an earthquake or something like that to say, hey, we need more time to respond to this. So what that means for contractors, they have to really think ahead and prepare for this. And so some specific action items that I think contractors really have to consider if they're not already doing this, they need to closely review their employment decisions and selection tools, including any compensation, hiring, promotions, or terminations. And they need to review that under the attorney-client privilege well before an audit starts to see if there's any potential issues that they need to address or, or rectify, because that's going to be very hard to do in the course of an audit. They also should take a very close look at compensation, because obviously OFCCP is continuing to look at that. And contractors, in light of this new scheduling letter, need to really focus on the factors affected compensation and determine whether those are electronically maintained? And if not, do they need to be for defense purposes? What are their compensation policies and practices? Are those documented? How would they present these to OFCCP? So all of those issues have to be thought through well in advance of an audit. Contractors will also need to think about their affirmative action plans proactively and, and make sure that they retool their plans in light of this new scheduling letter. And sometimes that will require meeting with their vendors and internal stakeholders to make sure that they have the right documents and and policies and procedures in place. And then finally, this obviously, OFCCP is an agency that likes documentation. So this is going to require contractors to document a lot of their practices to show their compliance with this. And they're going to have to do that well ahead of time. Did they take anything off the itemized listing? They did not. They only added to it. (laughs) All right. Well, that's kind of what you hear pretty much from throughout government. And do you have any evidence that OFCCP is increasing the number of audits it's doing? 
Yeah, so I think over the last couple of years, we've seen a little bit of a decline in the number of new audits that OFCCP has issued. And, and some of that is due to the pandemic. Some of it's due to the change in administration. But I think that now we're seeing a more of an uptick in audits and we are seeing new audits being released and OFCCP becoming much more active in audits. So I think we're going to see that trend continuing, particularly with this new scheduling letter. I think it just gives OFCCP more tools in its arsenal. Attorney Andrew Turnbull is a partner at Morrison Forrester. We'll post this interview along with a link to his blog at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And And I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always make sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, 
And please understand, when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of ALG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it. Okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision. Right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that. We rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right. When I'm standing there and I feel this, and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative, it's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, de describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader, because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It, it, it's, it's needed uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you, you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's, it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's, it's easy. Yes, right? yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. What's one piece of advice, if you could go back 
and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I, I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can it's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief in my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.